Good morning, everyone. If you have your Bibles, if you would turn over to the Gospel of Matthew, our text this morning will be chapter 2, Matthew 2, verses 1 through 12. We're going to spend most of our time just on one verse, verse 12. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. This is God's Word for us this morning. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who was born king of the Jews, who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who, shall, who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold, gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Please pray with me. Every valley shall be exalted, every mountain and hill be made low. The crooked shall be made straight, the rough places plain. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Amen. You know, I think the, uh, the last words... Of, of people are, are interesting, and they're, they're very significant, because I think they tell us a lot about a person's philosophy, about his worldview in this life, about a particular situation that he may find himself in. For example, the last words of that famous infidel Voltaire to his doctor as he was about to die were, I am abandoned by God and man. I will give you half of what I am worth if you will give me six months' life. He didn't get it. Thomas Hobbes, the skeptic who corrupted the faith of some of England's great men, exclaimed on his deathbed, If I had the whole world, I would give it to live one more day. And I suspect... At the last words of General George Armstrong Custer, just before he died at the Battle of Little Bighorn, were something to the effect, man, where did all these Indians come from? <laughs> <laughs> so last words, I think, tell us a lot about people, don't they? 
And the last words of stories, I think, also tell us a lot. Now, children's stories typically end and they lived happily ever after, which is meant, I suppose, to, to be sort of a, a summary of the entire story. Well, all of that sort of, sort of came back to me this week as I was thinking about our text for this morning, which is drawn from Matthew chapter 2, verse 12. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. For you see, verse 12 is the last verse of the Christmas story. The two words that end it another way are the very last words of all. Now, I know that uh, the chapter goes on to say that, uh, that after the wise men had left, the, the angel came to Joseph, warned him uh, that Herod, what, ex, what Herod actually had in mind. And so Joseph took Mary and the child and they went down to Egypt. Then we're told that about Herod killing the baby boys of Bethlehem two years and under. And then the return years later and Joseph and his family settling in Nazareth. But, but normally, usually, the stories we associate with the Christmas story all come before that. The announcement of the birth of Jesus. The announcement of the angel to Mary and also to, to Joseph concerning Jesus, the birth of John the Baptist, the birth of Jesus, the coming of the shepherds, and then right at the last, the coming of the wise men. And then right at the very end of this final story, after the wise men have come and, and presented their gifts, we're told of God's further revelation to them. He warned them of Herod's intent. And being warned, we're told that they departed for their country by another way. Another way. Last words. And it seems to me that the very place these words have in the story is important. God wants to draw our attention to them. And if I can, uh, can apply them to our lives as a message for us at Christmas time, it seems they clearly say that if we have truly found the Lord Jesus and we've worshipped him as these wise men did, then we should depart another way. In other words, if there's true Christianity in our lives, it should make a difference in what we think about, how we behave. If we've truly met Christ as our King and Savior, we will be changed, men and women. Now, I'd like to develop that a little bit. And I'd like for us this morning to think very briefly about three things. First, let's think about the change that we see in these wise men. Then I want us to think uh, briefly about what this change should mean for us. And finally, I want to commend this change to you. You know, this story doesn't tell us a whole lot about the change that must have taken place in these men after they found Jesus, because the story breaks off at that point. We're not told what they did differently once they left Bethlehem and once they got back to their own country, or what they talked about as they were going home on the way home. And yet I think that we're, 
we're not far wrong to conclude that the God who revealed the birth of Christ to them by a star and then later spoke to them directly in a dream undoubtedly gave them enough illumination to understand that the one whom they had seen and worshipped was indeed God's Son and the Savior of the world. I think God's grace was at work in their lives. And I believe that these wise men went home as true believers in Christ. They were changed. They were different. Now, I recognize that that's only speculation about what may have taken place. But there are several things that aren't speculation concerning these men. First of all, certainly they learned something about the kind of king that they had come to worship. They had come expecting to find a political king. The very fact that they came to Jerusalem, the capital city of the Jews, indicates that. You know, they wouldn't have thought for a second that this was to be a humble birth. No, their entire disposition would be to find the new king somewhere in the city of Jerusalem, probably in the palace of the old king. So they came into the city, they started asking around, and much to their surprise, found that nobody knew anything about this birth. Eventually, their questions got to the ear of Herod, who sent for them. You know, and they, they must have thought to themselves, well, now we're going to get somewhere. Now we're going to get some answers. We're going to find out where the king is, because if anyone would know, it's, it's old King Herod. But when they got to Herod's palace, they found out that he didn't know either. He didn't have a clue. But he did have enough sense to call his advisors in, to get the answer to where the Messiah would be born. And when the answer came back, Bethlehem of Judea, on the basis of Micah's prophecy... Herod sent them off to see what they could find. So off they went to Bethlehem. And what they found there wasn't a political king at all. What they found was a spiritual king. The same one who would say years later to Herod's successor, my kingdom is not of this world. And they undoubtedly learned from all that that God doesn't evaluate the affairs of this world as you and I do. And that the humble birth in a state, not a palace, was the place where God was revealed. I think they learned that. And I think they also learned something else. They learned something important, I think, about taking guidance and directions from the leaders of this world. You know, they'd gone to Jerusalem. They'd made inquiries. And when the answers came, they expected the answers would be good ones. Here was Herod. Here were the chief priests. These were people in the know. These were the experts. If anybody would know, it would be these important people. And while they, they eventually got the right answer, what they found was an incredible amount of indifference on the part of these leaders toward this king. Later they found that there was even hatred on the part of Herod. 
And so they learned from this experience not to seek spiritual answers from the world or in the world's way. I think they learned that the, the world would never lead them to this spiritual king. You know, can we doubt that these men weren't changed because of all these experiences? You know, as they traveled home, you know, they, they must have said to themselves, you know, that, that was interesting. It certainly wasn't what we expected. We expected a political king. And look what we found. We found a baby in very humble surroundings. We expected advice from the mighty of this world. We didn't get it. We had to get a special revelation from God in a star and in the scriptures and in a dream to find this king. And they must have had a completely different view of this world and of themselves as a result of that and a much higher and exalted view of our God. And the question that I press on you this morning is, what does this change mean to you? Have you had an experience like that of these wise men? An experience that has completely changed your view of the world? Changed your view of yourself? Changed your view of God? It's a good question. I think it's one that we should ponder this Christmas. You know, for most of us, there was a time in our lives when, when I think uh, we often looked for political solutions to the world's problems, to our own problems. We looked for secular answers to our problems. You know, whether your problem was insecurity or guilt, lack of direction, you thought you could find the answer to that by secular success, wealth, drugs, sex, pleasure, or government, or whatever else it may be that the world says is the chief end of man. I've experienced that. You know, there was a time in my life when I thought a successful career in the Army was the answer to all my problems. If I worked just a little bit harder, if I gave the big, big green machine just another pound of flesh, made a few more contacts, everything would work out. Well, I was wrong. You know, maybe you've looked for these sorts of things to make things better. And yet, like me and the wise men, you found that these things left you empty. Well, that shouldn't be too surprising. Because the problem of the human heart is a spiritual problem. And those problems are not provided for in secular ways. Dear ones, the world and its leaders and teachers and experts simply are not equipped to provide you answers to the longings of your heart. They can't do it. And I'm asking you this morning, have you had the experience of these wise men who because of the scriptures and the revelation of God within were directed to Christ. And having come to see him, worshipped him. Have you seen that the glory of the Lord Jesus, 
makes the glory of this world pale by comparison. And that the wisdom declared in his gospel makes the wisdom of this world just plain foolishness. Have you had that experience? You know, Jesus is the one who came into this world to reveal God to us. He's the one who, who later died for our sin, a substitute in our place, so that we might not have to bear its penalty. He's the one who then rose again from the dead after his crucifixion to demonstrate that he has power, power over death, power over life. And, and his sacrifice is accepted by God. And he lives to be an active force in the lives of his followers. You see, to find that kind of Christ is really to find the true meaning of Christmas and to go another way. Because I guarantee that having found him as Savior and as Lord, you cannot, God will not allow you to return the same way. You will be a changed person. You will go another way from that point on. Let me make a third and final point. I want to commend this new way to you in the strongest possible terms. You know, the Bible says a lot about the way God leads us. But one key thing it points out is that God's way is not our way. You know, Paul tells us in Romans that destruction and misery lie in our way. That we'll never get peace if we decide to, as Frank Sinatra says, I did it my way. You know, Frank Sinatra may have been a great singer, but he's a lousy theologian. You know, Jesus spoke about our way in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go that way. And then he makes a contrast, saying, narrow is the way and the gate that leads to life, and there are only a few who find this way. You see, the scriptures, they clearly warn us about the way we should take. Then they challenge us to go in the way provided by the Lord Jesus. Well, what kind of a way is God's way? How does his way differ from our way? First of all, I would say that his way is a definite way. You know, there's an interesting little verse that clearly teaches that over in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 21. That verse says, whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. Dear ones, we need a definite way in which to walk. Because you and I live in a confusing world. You know, apart from a definite way, we just wander around, wide-eyed, confused, we don't know where we're going. And so what do we do? We go from this experience to that. We go in this direction or that. We're lost on our way. The world's way is confusing. Now the Lord Jesus Christ comes, the one who is himself the way. And he sets us upon his way, and God the Father says, this is the way. Walk in it. 
You know, this, this verse from Isaiah is very revealing. You know, here's the picture. What you have here is you have people who are actually going away from God because in that verse, the voice comes from behind them. In other words, these people were going their own way. They're turning to their right hand. They're turning to their left hand. They don't know which way to turn. And the voice behind them calls to them and says, this is the way. Walk in it. And what's necessary, of course, is that they have to turn around from the way that they're going. They have to face the voice that's calling them. See, that, that's what repentance means. It's actually a military term. It means to do an about-face, to turn from your sin, and to embrace Christ in faith. That's what conversion is. You know, maybe at this Christmas, God is speaking to you from behind you, saying, this is the way. And he's pointing to Christ. He's saying, look, what you need to do is to abandon the way that you're going. You've been going. Turn around. Walk in his way, the way that he has provided. You see, that's a definite way. It's what sinful men and women need. We need a definite gospel with definite guidance and definite principles to guide and direct our lives. That's what we need. You know, so much of what we hear today isn't definite. It's just so much wishful thinking, posing of alternatives. I think we see that in a lot of preaching today. People are told, you know, here are the alternatives. You can believe this. Some do. You can believe that. Some do. Doesn't really matter. What kind of help is that? It's no help. That's not the way of the Lord Jesus Christ. The way of the Lord Jesus Christ is a definite way. And what we're called upon to do is to turn from our own wisdom to the wisdom that we find in Christ. And when we do that, when we do that, we find the direction that we need. You know, can we doubt that the way of the wise men as they went home was a definite way? It was a way that led by God. Secondly, I would say to you that the way of the Lord is a perfect way. You know, there's no imperfection with our God. And if we find imperfection in our life and way, it's because we've gotten out of His way. You know, I think Psalm 18, verses 30 and 32, say that so beautifully. Psalm 18, 30 says, As for God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord is flawless. He is a shield for all who take refuge in him. Then there's this little intervening verse. And then verse 32 says, It is God who arms me with strength, and he makes my way perfect. You see, the God who has a perfect way, and whose own way is perfect, also has a perfect way for his, for his children. And so if we walk in his way, having come to the Lord Jesus Christ, trying to do what he gives us to do, and to live in the way he gives us to live, then that way is made perfect for us. And I want to say in the third place that God's way is also a certain way. You know, that's, that's to say it's a way that's guaranteed. It's guaranteed to get us where we're going. 
You know, there's a verse on that, Romans 6.22. Paul is writing of the Christian life. And he says, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. You see, when you set out upon the way of the king, you get to the king's destination. And the king's destination is heaven. Now just, just think what a difference this would make in the way many of us live if this would become a major part of our thinking and living as God means it to be. You know, so many of us are we're so uncertain in our Christian life. We take a step forward, but we're afraid. Now maybe this isn't right. What will people think? We wring our hands. We go here. We go there. We worry. The Lord Jesus Christ says that he has set before you a certain way, a way that's going to get you to the end. And what you can look forward to with full assurance is that heavenly home that he has prepared for you in the way in which he leads. Dear ones, you can have absolute, total confidence in this. And that should be cause for great joy. And that's my next point. God's way is a joyful way. You know, I think we sometimes think wrongly that the way of Jesus is filled with heaviness. You know, I know at times there's going to be trials and troubles and frustrations. That's, that's undeniable. But in the midst of these trials, there's a joy, the Scriptures tell us, that passes human understanding. And I think we see that throughout the Christmas story, don't we? We see it in the wise men. You know, verse 10 says that when they saw the star, what did they do? They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Luke 2.20 tells us that the shepherds, after they'd been to the manger and seen the infant Christ, they went on their way, what? Glorifying and praising God. Luke 2.10. The angel told the shepherds that the message they brought was Good news of great joy to all. Have you known this, this joy of Christmas? Have you known the joy of having the revelation of God in Christ? And therefore having the great questions of life answered? Have you had the joy of entering into a personal relationship with that God? Dear ones, that's God's word for us today. That is the message of Christmas. God's way is joyful. And finally, I want to commend this way to you because it's the only way. There's no other way. And you know, there are many ways out there that contend for our attention. But there's only one way that gets us to where we want to go. And that's God's way. There's only one way. Jesus said, I am the way. And then, lest we misunderstand that and think that he simply meant, I am a way, what did he do? He added, no man comes to the Father but by me. So the way that sets before us is commended because it's the only way that will get us to our goal, which is to be with God in heaven forever and ever. Well, how do I conclude all this? You know, I, th I think 
I think the best way is to first speak to those of you who are already Christians. Those of you who are in the way already. If you've already met the Lord Jesus Christ and have followed him, then I want to encourage you to continue following him, following him. Continue in the way that he gives. You know, there's going to be difficulty sometimes. There's going to be times when things in your life go south. There's going to be trials. In fact, God himself sends some of those trials. But he does that in order that we might be built up, become warriors who are able to do his work in this world. If you're already in the way, then continue in that way and rejoice in it. On the other hand, if you're not yet going in that way, I think you have to do what these wise men did. Now, there were several things in their story that were significant. First of all, throughout the story, they sought Jesus out. Now, there are many things that could have deterred them from that. You know, they could have sought for more riches. They could have sought comfort. They could have sought fame. But none of those things would have caused them to leave their country, make this long journey to Jerusalem, and then go on to Bethlehem so that they might find the Christ. Yes, that's exactly what they did. So if you're not yet in the way of peace and blessing, I challenge you this morning to look to Christ. You know, if you feel a stirring, a burning in your heart this morning, however slight, you need to know that it's been put there by God. And I exhort you not to ignore it, not to blow it off, but to follow it. Turn around from your way and go in Christ's way. Then secondly, having found him, you have to worship him. You have to present your gifts to him. What does it mean to present your gifts to him? Well, for one thing, it means to acknowledge him for who he is and you as his servant. You know, this is the importance of these gifts that the wise men brought. All those gifts are symbolic. When they came with their gift of gold, they acknowledged that Jesus Christ was a king, even though he was in these humble surroundings. You know, gold is the medal of kings. So when you find him, you must acknowledge that he's your king. He's the king of kings. Kings rule. And King Jesus must be the one who rules in your life. The wise men also came with their incense, frankincense. You know, incense was what was used in worship. It was burned in the temple. And I think this spoke of Christ's divinity because worship is given to God alone. When you find the Lord Jesus Christ, you must find him as God your God, and you must offer him your worship. Then finally they came with their gift of myrrh. I think we know myrrh was what was used in those days in embalming bodies. It's a strange gift for anybody except Christ, because I think that myrrh speaks very clearly of the fact that he was sent in this world to die for our sins. So when you come to him and when you find him, you find him as the one who came to die for your sins and is therefore your Savior. 
So is Jesus all those things to you? To your Savior? To your God? To your King? You know, I hope that He is. He wants to be all that and more. He wants to set before you such a glorious, glorious way that you will never want to return to the way from which you've come. May God make that so in every heart this morning. Let's pray. Our Father, we, we thank you for these truths in Matthew 2. They're amazing. We ask for your blessing upon our hearts as your Spirit carries them home to us. Grant, if there are those who are here who have never come to the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, God, and King, that they might do so even in this hour. And then upon your own, who do know Him as Savior, God, and King. May there be a new sense of the fact that life should be radically different because of that. And may there be a new determination to walk in the way that He sets before us. We pray this in His precious name. Amen and on